0: you like the work we're doing here at It's All Journalism? For as little as a dollar a month, you can help us continue the conversation about good journalism. Show your support by donating to our Patreon campaign. Go to itsalljournalism.com and follow the link at the top of the page to donate.
1: was kind of just a nasty situation and, you know, if you are the person who wins the crown this way, is it really what you want? Or would you rather, you know, win it the honest way, the more traditional way? I don't know. Um, But there was such a controversy over this and so much just noise and aggravation and irritation that they never had the Miss Springfield pageant again.
0: Welcome to It's All Journalism. My name is Michael O'Connell, here with another podcast about digital media and the people who make it. And this episode is going to be, well, I'm kind of an honest type of guy, so let me be honest. We didn't have a guest lined up for this week. So this gave actually gave <laughs> us a great opportunity to get the um, all three of us producers on to sort of talk about writing, because we all do writing in our daily Jobs on the phone with us, or I should say, on Skype with us, is uh, Amber Healy uh, from Western New York. Hello, Amber. Hey, Mike. And uh, Nicole. Always nice to be here. <laughs> and Nicola Grisco is on the board. And like yeah. I said, uh, we just sort of wanted to have a little quick roundtable discussion about the writing process. We're professional writers. We're, we're journalists. It's it's a skill that we've been honing or working on for years and had lots of different experiences and I thought that would bring up some interesting conversations. Amber and I were talking about some of our experiences working together at the Connection newspaper. I was an editor there and Amber was one of my reporters and uh, we had a really big story. Do you want to go ahead and talk about that big story?
1: Oh, this was one of the more interesting I think, situations that I have found myself in as a uh, professional writer for a community newspaper. And um, I'm gonna go with the first one we talked about, Like Back in the olden days of 2005, 2006, there was a small regional beauty, pa- beauty pageant that the Springfield Chamber of Commerce had organized every year, called them the Springfield Pageant. And it was every late spring, early summer, before they had their big like summer festival. And the long and the short of it is, we accidentally killed the Miss Springfield pageant. Yeah. Through no fault of our own. Well, we didn't we, do anything deliberately or directly, but.
0: Yeah, we contributed to does its demise. What is that?
1: So, it, well, what happened is, <laughs> do you want me to just jump in and tell them what happened?
0: Well, let me let me start since I was the one who gave you an assignment. Again, this, this was all around Springfield Days, which was an annual festival that they had in Springfield, Virginia and part of it was this this beauty pageant and it was it was not like a you know bathing suit type thing it was more of you know people came on they had if they had a talent they sang or they danced or whatever they would do that they would answer some questions and the winner would actually get three things one of which was like a crown another was a scholarship and the last thing was uh-huh. uh, she got to ride in a uh, a car in the in the parade that that accompanied the festival that was really kind of it <laughs> there were a couple of other yeah. chamber things that they were involved in but basically that was the full extent of what it. it wasn't a really big pageant it wasn't a you know didn't feed into anything like you know miss america or anything amber who, who i knew is as a reporter was somebody who was uh you know somewhat of the I don't know, feminist persuasion, <laughs> who would, might, so balk it, right <laughs> might, might balk at things like this. Um, I, I went ahead and assigned it to her as, you know, this is part of their their tradition. Why don't you go and check it out? You know, go to the Springfield Mall and, on Thursday night and, you know, take some pictures, interview some people and cover it. So you, you can take it from there.
1: <laughs> so the, the paper the week of the pageant had... The best cover I think we ever had, Mike and I working together, which was um, the winner getting crowned and smiling and looking all happy and wonderful. And the headline on on the page was Queen for Just a Day. Because as soon as Miss Springfield was crowned that night, by the time we got into work on Friday morning, the Springfield Chamber of Commerce was already getting phone calls and emails of people complaining. Because as it turned out, the winner of Miss Springfield that year had posted some photos on social media. I think Back at this time, it was just Facebook.
0: No, it was MySpace. It was MySpace. Oh, Oh, you're
1: right. It was MySpace. Good grief. But she had posted some photos on her social networking profile of choice at a gay club in Richmond where she had been a college student. And people started calling and complaining and saying, you know, how dare you select this woman, this girl? Uh, Who makes questionable choices? And is—is this who we really want representing the traditional values of Springfield? And just on and on. And it was awful. And within a couple of days, she was getting real pressure to turn in the crown and to give back the scholarship. And she refused as long as she could until they basically said, "Yeah, we're just going to take it from you. So have a nice life."
0: Yeah. What it happened.
1: The runner-up got the awards.
0: Yeah. What had happened is I had come in on the Friday morning, and um, somebody had sent me a, a. a link to her website and said, did you see this? Did you know about this? And so I called up Amber and said, Hey, check this out. Somebody sent me this stuff about, you know, Miss Springfield. Why don't you call the chamber and see what's going on? And I think you call the chamber and, and maybe they weren't so receptive, but then we actually reached out to the winner or the original mm-hmm. winner. And she was, she and her father were very willing to talk to us about what was going on. and that kinda, And that kind of made up the meat of the story.
1: And her family was very supportive of her. They thought that, you know, she was really getting sort of thrown under the bus for this when she didn't do anything wrong in their eyes. I mean, the worst thing was maybe she was at a a club underage, but it didn't even appear that that was the real issue. It was it was was kind of just a nasty situation. And, And, you know, if you are the person who wins the crown this way, is it really what you want or would you rather, you know, win it the honest way the more traditional way. I don't know. Um, but there was such a controversy over this and so much just noise and aggravation and irritation that they never had the Miss Springfield pageant again.
0: Yeah. And what was so great about it was the, as far
1: as I know to this day, yeah, yeah,
0: that was the way we actually presented it. We, we ran two stories on our front page Uh, on the left-hand column was the coverage of the, of the, the actual pageant. And then on the other side uh, was the all the other stuff that went went on uh, with in the middle of it being a picture of Miss Springfield wearing her, count, her crown and her sash and everything. And mm-hmm. the chamber got a lot of heat from it. We got some some emails about it. But um, and we you know, the the. The girl and uh, the young woman, I should say, and, and her her father were very you know nice and very happy with the coverage we did. And, you know, I think it was just one of those weird community stories that kind sort of comes up. But just having the opportunity mm-hmm. to be able to sort of cover all aspects of it and then present it in, in a way that sort of showed the highs and the lows of the moment was, you know, I think what made it so effective.
1: And it's a true community story. This is... You know, I mean, it, it sort of touches on a several things. It touches on, you know, yes, the tradition of the community was to have this event, but then something happened, and who is Springfield, and are they are they comfortable with this? Are they not comfortable with this? Should they be comfortable with this? And we didn't necessarily directly report on sort of the more social issue aspect of things, um, but that's what happens in communities, and it's only in community papers that you will find quirky little stories like this.
2: Yeah, I love those stories that are a huge deal to a very small group of people because i think you always get you know great quotes great kind of passion behind it from you know a small group of people but it, it might say something a little bit larger
0: yeah there there are other and, types of stories that, that we wrote where we, we sort of ran into that but did you did that present any particular challenge to you in reporting or writing it
1: uh, there was a technical challenge. I was on the phone with, uh, the original winner and her dad, and either I lost my cell signal or they lost theirs and I couldn't get them back on the phone. Oh my God. Yeah. I don't know if I told it's you that. so unbelievable. Time, now that I think about it. But yeah, it was, it was tricky because they were so emphatic. Like we want to talk to you. We want to tell you our story. We want to, you know, we will fully cooperate with this because what they're trying to do is, you know, it's kind of mean.
0: It was a real sort of jaw dropping story. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the way you were it wrote was
1: it. it was just all so weird i mean that's only that's the only word i really have for it it it, it was just so bizarre that this beauty pageant like became this whole can you believe it
0: yeah, that's a, the a funny thing about when you go out to cover a story, you think it's going to be one thing and then it turns out to be something else. And then that's where you kind of have to, you know, shift your your gears and, and direction to, you know, cover the real story that's going on there. I think I managed talked about this in mm-hmm. the podcast. At one time I, when I was, I used to be, you know, cover collectible card games and science fiction and stuff like that. And I went to a, a card tournament in um, Hampton Roads and it was for the... Um, what was it, it was a uh, star wars no star trek uh, collectible card game and it was supposed to be just, you know, oh, here's the tournament, here's the winner, blah, 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 blah. But I got down there and the, car- the card company had uh, released a set of new cards like a few days before the event. And then some of the people who were very smart card players realized that there was a fault in the the mechanism that they had introduced in this set. And so they were just like cleaning up and knocking out all these people who had spent months and months and months strategizing how they were going to win this thing. And it was, there was all this like emotional turmoil going back and forth over this little card game, this tournament. And that was what the story was. So when I showed up there, it was like, you know, what's going on? Why is everybody being like this? And then it was like, oh, well, okay. And so then that became the, the focus of it. You, you sort of, when you go out to cover an event, you sort of prepare to a certain degree, but man, you got to be open for something to change and, and to tell the real story.
1: Exactly. And you never know when, when life is going to take a weird little bounce and give you something so much different than what you expected and be ready to roll with it on your toes at all times.
0: So Amber, you know, I've known you a long time and, you know, we've talked a little bit about where you came from and everything, but when did you start writing? What got you into writing?
1: Oh God, Mr. Petty. I was, it was a summer between my sophomore and junior year of high school. And, um, Mr. Petty was my uh, English teacher at my tiny little high school in the middle of nowhere, Western New York. And he said, listen, I'm taking over the school district paper, and I want you to write for me. And I I'd never written anything other than, you know, papers for school at that point. I never thought of being a journalist. I didn't know how to interview people. I just completely blind to all of this. I had no clue. But we talked about it over the summer. And he, my first assignment ever was uh, the introduction of the kids voting program at the school um, that fall so i interviewed like a state supreme court and the attorney i'm sorry state supreme court justice and i want to say the attorney general of new york at the time and by the end of that day i was hooked that was it this is that was all i wanted to do and it's i might not be necessarily working full-time as a reporter right now in a traditional sense but he saw something and put me on this path that i can't and don't want to break from
0: so what is it is it the reporting that you like is it the writing that you like
1: I don't know I think it's a little of everything I I'm a social person I love talking to people I am a curious person I love asking questions to the dismay of pretty much everyone who knows me I, I love all of it I love knowing where people come from and where they're going and what they're thinking about this or that topic and how it all fits together and why they're doing what they're doing the best way to sort of quench that thirst is to, to talk to people and to get their stories and then tell other people about it. It's, it's just a natural, I think, inclination for those of us who are similarly afflicted.
0: So how about you, Nicole, how did you sort of get into reporting and writing?
2: Well, like Amber, there's always an English teacher, right? That sort of, you know, Mm -hmm. shows you the way, I guess. So I, you know, I had a great English teacher in, in middle school, probably, But no, I was always kind of interested in writing. I actually really thought I would be into creative writing. And then I sort of realized, well, you know, what kind of career path is that going to (laughs) be?
0: It's a lot of Starbucks that you're going to be working at.
2: Right, right. And so, I don't know, quickly, you know, I was a part of my high school newspaper. I don't remember what my first story was, honestly, but I remember a big story that we all worked on, which was somehow we had to raise like an astronomical amount of money to buy new chairs for the cafeteria. And we <laughs> oh, came wow. up with the headline like 25 grand, I'd rather Stand," <laughs> And that was a big <laughs> triumph for our newsroom, for our high school newsroom a was lot, that headline. A lot of high
0: fives, I yeah. imagine. Uh-huh. Like,
2: um, wow. No, but I, I, went, I went to college um, knowing that I wanted to do journalism and spent a lot of time at the college newspaper and college radio station which was really where i was like okay this is this is definitely what i want what i want to do here um and you know interned for a few places uh worked for patch if you want to talk about community news we could talk about patch
0: where were you at patch
2: i was in baltimore county maryland and harford county maryland so and that was kind of in the patch heyday so the year after aol bought patch and it had all these resources and all this money to throw at the program and it was a great internship I definitely learned a lot and so actually I mean I'm not I'm pretty new to professional journalism I guess you could say about three and a half years out of college and I've been at federal news radio ever since so started as a freelancer went to a producer and now I'm a reporter
0: yeah and and doing really well if I may may say so, as as the digital web editor, I get to read your stuff all the time, and it's quite often those are the stories that are in our top ten every day, the types of t- stuff that you're call uh, that you write about. So I guess that leaves it to me to say what my experience is. And yes, there was a an English teacher. At some point, I sort of kind of took a slightly different tack. I was in, I was in high on the high school uh, in high school journalism, I was actually the editor-in chief of the high school newspaper in my senior year. But at some point in that process, even though I was like writing, I actually kind of had the sense that I was a better editor than I was a writer. And that was kind of the track I went into when I went in college. I did this really crazy thing. When I was in college, I got a double major in English and journalism which I would highly recommend against because I was taking, <laughs> because I was taking creative writing classes like in the morning and in the afternoon I go to reporting classes. So everything that I learned in, in mm. the morning, um, they told me I couldn't do in the afternoon and vice versa. Um, <laughs> it was like, you got, why do you have all these adverbs in here? You should take them all out. And it says, why isn't there any description? You, you can't paint a picture here. And it's just like going back and forth. And, and actually when I graduated college, I uh, for a while I, I tried to do some creative writing and so I write s- short stories and stuff, but I eventually realized that that I just didn't have that that type of imagination. I, I, I was pretty good at at like you know interviewing people and, and finding what their stories were and reporting on it, but I wasn't really good at sort of coming up with something that was you know originally you know original and and different and and creative. I can never sort of get my wrap my head around the uh, the sort of structure of fiction writing. For some reason, uh, you know, nonfiction was m- much, much easier for me. So that's why I always found it a fascinating, these people who always get into trouble about plagiarizing and stuff. And I'm like, I don't know why they do that, because it's so much harder to make stuff up than it is to actually talk to somebody and write down what they have to say. I don't know. It's, that's my sort of interesting a sort of weird track. I remember the first story I sold, which was, again, I started out doing entertainment, writing and comics and stuff. And I interviewed Walt Simonson and his wife, Louise Simonson, who were a comic book ar- artist and a writer uh, in the early 80s. And that was kind of a big deal for me. And you know, I was just fresh out of college and I had this freelancing, freelancing assignment. And that was kind of cool uh, that I got to, you know, just, you know, interview these people and, you know, do a little research and, and uh, go and meet them and sit down with them, and then come back and then sort of assemble that. And then, you know, learning the whole process as a freelancer of going out and pitching your stuff. Because that's that's really kind of the hardest part of being a freelancer is, you know, trying to find somebody to sell stuff to. Coming up with an idea for that would be interesting, that would be appealing to a particular publication. That, that was always a challenge. But, you know, it was it was fun and it was kind of rewarding. The income from it was sort of up and down for a very long <laughs> period of time. So uh, when I eventually got a regular paying gig, that was kind of cool and sort of made a difference.
1: That's something I really wish J schools talked about more is how to pitch. Cause when I went, not that I'm out all that long, but I am out all that long. It was not anything that we talked about. We didn't talk about how to pitch a story or how to go about finding ideas to pitch or part of that whole process. And yet it's such a big deal with a lot of reporters and writers today because the journalism jobs just aren't there the way they used to be, as this podcast has discussed time and again.
0: Yeah, and, and the the state of the freelance market also is is so up in the air at this point. Is you know there's so many people who, because they can't get jobs are so are willing to just write stuff for free or even less. It makes it really difficult for somebody who's trying to build a career out of this to certainly build a career as a freelancer. We've had a couple of people on, people who are like technical writers or something who, who become experts in a certain area, a certain field, and, and go at it as much as they can to to try to generate stories and get those regular gigs. You know, figuring out how to way to you know take one story, maybe you know, you know one interview, and spin it off into multiple stories and something like that. It, it can be a real challenge. I know uh, that was my my experience doing it. And also it's a, it's a bit of a grind. It's nice to be able to w- go and work for a publication where you kind of, you're, you're working with other people and, you know, maybe somebody gives you an assignment or you can talk to an editor about a, a particular story, but it's tough when you're by yourself trying to generate story ideas without, you know, maybe any particular feedback and that you're, you have to learn to be your own advocate. So you, you almost have to be on the job 24 hours a day, you know, thinking about what could be a good story. That that was one of the things that sort of, for me, made me jump from freelancer to a, to a regular job. It was just, you know, I just never felt like I was off the clock. So are there any, can you think of any like really hard stories that you had to do?
1: There are two that come to mind uh, for very, very different reasons. The first of which is uh, Tom Fox. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yep. Um, and to sort of sum that up pretty quickly... He, he was a volunteer originally from, uh, not originally from, but had been living in Springfield. We're back to Springfield again, and uh, he had been in, he'd been a volunteer with this organization called Christian Peacemaker Teams, and Tom, in the early days of the most recent conflict in Iraq and Afghanistan, had signed up to go, as part of a team over to Iraq and live there, with this bright red hat and basically uh, work with people whose families, um, maybe someone had disappeared, maybe someone had been killed or injured, um, maybe someone had lost their job, whatever, and sort of be a, a sympathetic presence to kind of prove, you know, hey, listen, not all people from North America are, are want to fight you. Not all people believe that bombing villages or, or fighting fire with fire is the way to go. And uh, I met Tom, I think I only spent like two hours with him, maybe not even that much, at the old borders near the Springfield Mall in September of 2005, right before he went back on his either second or third trip to Iraq with uh, CPT. And uh, that November, November 25th or 26th, he and the four team members that he was living with at the time, uh, they were taken hostage. And it suddenly became a very different story about you know, here's this guy in Springfield who's trying to do this very different kind of thing to, oh my God, he's been, he's been taken hostage. We don't know what's going on. We don't know what's happening. The Swords of Righteousness Brigade was the name of the group that took responsibility for it. And a few months later in March of 2009, um, no, I'm sorry, March of 2006, Tom was, uh, unfortunately, he was killed. Uh, The other three were let go a few weeks later and it's probably the story that's had the single most impact on my life. Yeah. Um, I have a peace sign necklace on my necklace, a charm, and I wear it all the time to remember him. Just one afternoon's conversation.
0: Yeah, I, I you know, it, it's amazing how you know these conversations you get in, and usually a lot of them have to do, you know, sadly with death. You know, reporting on stories of, of people who passed or or, who, or a family who's facing a difficult uh, situation. I was. Um, I was in DC when uh, nine 11 occurred and uh, when the plane hit the Pentagon, that became a local news story for us. We had an Arlington outlet and it was on a Tuesday and we had, you know, we were turning in papers on Tuesday. We were laying papers out for the week. And when the news broke, they called in all the reporters and we all sort of went out to different places in our communities as, as a community newspaper, you know, we, we needed to see how people were reacting and, uh, I was sent. Um, I was sent to the metro station to interview people. I went to uh, the uh, fire headquarters where the you know the police and the fire chief were meeting to sort of manage things. Um, I went to a church that evening to talk to people after a uh, after a service. But in the week that followed, the weeks that followed, we you know we were following up in the community for the people who had died at the Pentagon. And I remember Shelley McDonald was the um, the person who had died, uh, she had uh, two children who were in the daycare center at the, pen- at the Pentagon. And they were there when she was killed. And I interviewed her mother and I interviewed her her husband. And it was, uh, you know, it's, you know, anytime that you get in a situation like that, it, it's difficult. You know, you feel sort of embarrassed to be there and to have these conversations. But, you know, this is part of what our job is is, you know, I've done stories like this where I've, I've had people who would call me or send in emails and saying, oh, you're just preying on people. You're just, you know, like trying to capitalize on their pain and everything. And in actuality, the people that we, we talk to the family members, you know, almost every one of them, it's, it means so much to them to go there and to talk, about their loved one who had passed because it's part of their healing process. They want to, they want to tell that person's story. And so for me, I mean, it was an opportunity to talk to the family and sort of, you know, I, I like everybody else in in the country was, was pretty shaken by nine 11. I I was not affected the way this family was, but it sort of gave me an opportunity that, that I felt like I was helping them to uh, work through what they were doing. And, uh, you know, they they said nice things when the story was done, and I followed up with the, the husband later on. And it was, you know, it's it's just those can be some of the hardest stories that we do. They also can be some of the most rewarding stories because, like I said, it's a very personal type of journalism that you don't think about. I mean, if somebody tells you to go, you have to go talk to the family whose whose son was killed. You know, those are difficult stories to send reporters out to do. Um, I had a I had a reporter who went to this high school, the family of this high school girl, he was killed and he, you know, he talked to the parents and they brought him in and they brought him into her bedroom and she had a whiteboard up where she would write like messages of uh, encouragement for her to, d- to do well. And, and, you know, there was a message up there that she had just written uh, before she had died in the, in the car accident. So, you know, part of what we do is we sort of reflect the, the pain in, in, in the community and, and help people to work through these difficult times very, tell these very human stories. And, uh, you know, it's something I take very seriously whenever, you know, that was something I had to do and and something I always talk to reporters about to make sure that they were getting through it. Okay. Obviously, you know, they're not, they're not in the same position as the family members, but, you know, they want to be respectful and they want to tell that story and do their jobs and, uh, you know, not make a situation worse. I did have one bad situation once where we had a, a reporter who showed up and then the the spouse was really upset and it was really her grief and she sort of unloaded on the reporter and it was not, and the reporter felt really bad and it was not her fault. It was really, you know, this woman was, was trying to, to deal with it and, and the reporters happened to be there, but she tried to be as... You know, helpful and respectful. And, you know, if you can, when you feel like you're able to, to talk, you know, I'd love to talk to you later on. And so once the woman had some time to sort of gather herself and understand what, that we were just trying to help and to remember her husband, uh, then it became a much more, you know, less painful situation. But anyway.
1: <laughs> it's so hard in that moment, though. Um, I can't tell you how many times I had to go to a funeral or a memorial service or a vigil at a school after, you know, a young driver uh, lost control of their vehicle and, and got killed. And I often find myself crying with them. And I think it's the one time that as a reporter, you're allowed to sort of be a person and a reporter at the same time, and maybe not worry so much about that division between your work life and your, your personal life, because you're, we are people and we do feel things. And despite what people might want to say, it's hard for us as a person to go and try to interview someone who just lost someone that they love.
0: Yeah. And, and then you have a, you have an editor who calls you death girl because of it, because of all of that. Well, I wasn't going to bring that up. Mike, but. <laughs> I was just wow. a terrible person. I called her death girl. It's that our is... way
1: of dealing with it though, right? right? We, we,
0: we joke about the fact that you, you cover a lot of, a lot of death, but let's, let's talk about the happy stories that we've covered. Now Please. you've, you've had <laughs> the opportunity lately to do a lot of music coverage, which is something that you love. Yes. Yeah. Um... <laughs> no. <laughs>
1: um, yeah. I've been, I, I started like two years ago writing for this um, music and pop culture and tech website that was based in Toronto and uh, that died um, <laughs> earlier this year. Oh, uh, so I worked for I worked for uh, Geeks and Beats for a little over a year. And then I turned around after realizing how much I missed it a couple of days later when I no longer had this outlet. And um, I've been writing for uh, a website called A Journal of Musical Things since February. And uh, Alan Cross, who is the the man, the myth, the legend behind that website, he actually was a guest on this podcast yes, earlier this year.
0: Yes, he was. And it was a Uh, a, a great job. Great conversation. So and you you, what what are some of the stories you've covered?
1: Oh, God, I end up writing a whole lot about um, ticket bots. So uh, software programs that long story short, rid you of the opportunity to buy concert tickets to some of the major tours that come through town. Um, I was actually just Thinking today, uh, Guns N' Roses just announced this morning at like five thirty that they're playing at um, New Era Field, which is where the Buffalo Bills play next well, summer.
0: Sold out. And the already, tickets I'm will sure. go on
1: sale. It will go on sale on on Saturday morning at ten o'clock. Uh, they're doing pre-sale starting I think uh, tomorrow or Wednesday. And I had I had emailed Alan and I'm like, watch, I guarantee you, we will be we'll be getting flooded with people complaining and griping about ticket bots over the weekend. To his point, he's like, well, it's the first time that a major concert has been announced in New York York since Governor uh, Andrew Cuomo signed legislation last week outlawing the use of ticket bots, making it a jailable offense. Problem is, that law doesn't go into effect until early March. Um, And the Senate is looking into legislation on ticket bots as well. And it's really interesting because who hasn't tried to buy tickets to a concert and you can't?
0: Or the so, only yeah. way you can
1: go to get them is like through um, StubHub or something.
0: Yeah, where you pay a, a finder's fee or or whatever.
1: A ridiculous or, price,
0: a huge um, amount. Yeah. Yeah.
1: It's disgusting. So yes. There's been a lot of lot on ticket bots this year.
0: Well, good. That's you are doing the Lord's work there. <laughs> the, i'm trying real for, hard you the, know for the music fan, <laughs> fans well I don't want to don't want to extend this too long i mean the, the, we could talk back and forth about all the different stories is there a story that that let's try to think of a happy story that you've written you th- is there any happy story that you've written that you're or story that you're really glad that you got to write not that you didn't get weren't glad to write tom fox's story but Ugh,
1: that was that was a whole project. Um, I'm going to defer to Nicole on this one. <laughs> Let her go first.
2: Oh, <laughs> you got to have something, right? A, a happy story about the federal government? Mm. Um, mm. Hmm. No. Mm. Well, you know
0: those the, that open those five story, things you should know about the open season. Mm. That was a big story. news you
2: can use. Yes. 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 No, I mean, I think we do try to do a good job here of telling stories about times when agencies do good things, when federal employees do good things. Yes. And we got to do that this year with Public Service Recognition Week, which was, which, you know, it was really cool to hear people talk about what their job means to them and, and their agency and the mission behind it and things you don't think about often.
0: Yeah, I did a story like that about the um, uh, Foreign Service families, all these families who get who end up going overseas with their their mates. You know, what do you do? Basically, if you don't have a job or, you you know, with the process of getting a job, but then, you know, you wanting to give back to the, to the community, the foreign country that you're in, and, you know, a lot of the volunteer opportunities that go on. So the, the State Department recognizes them annually with these awards, and I've covered that a couple of times, and that was, that was fun. But actually, I was just thinking of another fun story that I did when I was at The Connection. when I was a reporter at The Connection in the early days. I got to go out to Bealton, Virginia, to the Flying Circus Air Show, because there was a local guy who was an airline pilot. And on the weekends, he would go out to this air show and he would fly a um, the biwing wing uh, prop plane. And they, oh, would do, cool. they would do stunts and stuff. And they had wing walkers. And it was like an old-time flying circus. And so I, you know, I interviewed him. I got to go out and take a bunch of pictures of the show, behind the scene and everything. And then I got to go up in a plane, which was kind of cool. Granted, when we were coming back in. He almost ran into somebody, but uh, you know, hey, <laughs> that's it's all uh, part of the adventure. It's journalism, um, right? And it was, you know, it was a fun way to spend a spend a couple of days covering a story, doing something fun like that.
2: I'm going to add one one days. more. Okay. Um,
0: yeah, could you sort of come up with a real fun story? Yes,
2: I think this is cool. So at the beginning of this year, January, President Obama was going to talk about. It was a memo, I guess, I don't think it was quite an executive order, about gun violence. And, you know, for us here, we think, okay, that's not really what we do. But there was a lot of intricate parts to it that involved a lot of different agencies, and that is what we do. So, you know, my editor said, why don't you go to the White House, see if you can go and see if you can cover that. And I got to go, and I got to see President Obama, and I was, you know— No, could could barely see him, but could kind of, you know, in between two C-span camera guys and sort of had to stand on my tiptoes to see him. But that was that was pretty freaking cool. And, you know, that was the moment where the president got emotional and started crying when he uh, was thinking about the Sandy Hook shootings. And, you know, I'm sort of standing there and I'm thinking like, well, for me, this is not part of the federal news radio story, but for me as a journalist and as a person, this is incredibly cool to be able to stand here at the white house and, and to watch this and then to have to go back and write a story. And that was, that was awesome. I mean that, you know, I'll remember that for a while, I think, even if I'm not doing political or government news, you know, in the future.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, that's one of the nice things about being a, a reporter not just in D.C., but just wherever you are, you get these opportunities to, to meet people you and talk to them that you'd never expect to. I've, I've had the opportunity to talk to, you know, artists and, and writers and people that, that I respect uh, quite a lot, you know, just have conversations with them and report in, on, on the stuff that they do. So those opportunities are, are one of the great things. It's a good consolation for the, for the low pay that we, we generally face the rest of the year. <laughs> So, get. so true. So, so <laughs> true. Well, that's all I think we have to say. We're just going to sort of wrap it up. Before we wrap this up, I, I did want to say one thing. It's All Journalism is is a resource. What we try to do is get people who are involved in journalism, working journalists, to share their stories Uh, their experiences, uh, the new and different things that they're doing to that help them do their jobs. We're always looking for stories. If you've got an idea, if you're working on something, if you want to come on the show and talk about something, please contact us at editor at it'salljournalism.com. We'd be happy to have you on. It's not that we're looking, that we're having trouble finding people. It's just, you know, every once in a while I I, you know I forget to do this, but I want to make sure that that you know that this is this is a podcast uh, for journalists for journalists, about journalists, and make Make sure you understand that that if you've got a story to tell that you think would be interesting to our audience, please let us know. We'd love to have you on the show. And that's pretty much it.
2: Yay, journalism.
0: Yay, journalism. (laughs) Talk to you later. (laughs) You've been listening to It's All Journalism, a weekly podcast about digital media. Find out more about us and download past episodes at itsalljournalism.com. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Google Play, and Podcast One. This week's episode was edited by Nicola Grisco. Amber Healy provided our web content. Nick Dupre wrote our theme music, and I'm your host, Michael O'Connell. Hey, you've written a book. You can order copies of Turn Up the Volume, a down and dirty guide to podcasting on our website. Visit itsalljournalism.com and follow the link at the top of the page. Isn't it time you started your podcast? Do you like the work that we're doing here at It's All Journalism? Now you can show your support on our Patreon page. Follow the link at the top of our website and donate. For as little as a dollar a month, you can access exclusive content and receive updates about upcoming episodes. Donate a little bit more, and we'll send you a cool swag, like our It's All Journalism mug or a signed copy of my podcasting book. There are even opportunities for you to submit ideas for future shows or even appear on an episode. Go to itsalljournalism.com and click on the Patreon link to find out more. It's All Journalism is produced in partnership with the Association of Alternative News Media. Thanks for listening.